0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him. And suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We are going to start with the first reading for today, which is a pretty well-known from back in Sunday school days reading, except we're going to go a little deeper than maybe we did in Sunday school. That story I'm talking about is the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where stands a tree in the center of the garden that is called, remember, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You've heard the phrase forbidden fruit. This Bible story is where the phrase comes from. Adam and Eve were forbidden by God, their creator, from eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and and evil. As we dig into this story, let me remind you of something that I've, I've said before, but I want to say it again because it comes up more often with this story than I think it comes up anywhere. And that is this: the Bible to be taken completely seriously. If to take the Bible completely seriously doesn't mean that you need to think that the Bible needs or even wants in every single chapter and verse to be taken completely literally. In fact, I think we diminish the depth of the Bible's incredibly deep truth-telling when we take it only literally. Because I think then we end up with this dusty book that we have literalized the heaven out of. Back to Genesis. You are welcome to disagree with me. Brothers and sisters in Christ can disagree about things like this and still have coffee afterwards and say peace be with you. You're welcome to disagree with me. But I don't think that the story of Adam and Eve was ever by God and the writers of the Bible meant to be this literal story of two literal and particular people way back in the beginning and who they were. I think this story of Adam and Eve was in fact from the beginning written to be a story about all people including you and me and who we are and why we are and what we're here for. On that level, these in the beginning chapters of the book of Genesis say four things. Number one, human life is not a cosmic coincidence. For we are created by God. Flipside flash, we are not, any of us personally, God. Though God knows we, most of us, have had our moments of running around acting like we are. Number two, we are called to live life loving and trusting God and obeying the loving desires of God. Number three, we are called to live life loving one another, loving the others, all the others whom God has also created and placed on earth with us. And finally, number four, we are called to live life too, loving this earth which God created and entrusted to us Not just as a place for us to live, but also a place that is a trusted gift for us trustworthily to care for. There you go. When it comes to age-old and complicated questions about the origin and purpose of life, according to Genesis 1 and 2, it's not complicated. God is God. You aren't. Love and trust and obey God. It'll do you good. Love all others whom God also lovingly created and placed on this earth with you. And love and care for this earth which God created and entrusted to you. And there you go, not complicated. Until along comes our reading for today, where we read, The Lord God took the man, the Adam in Hebrew. Adam with a capital A, we'll call him later. But here he's just the Adam. The Lord God took the Adam and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it, to take care of creation. And the Lord also commanded the Adam, You may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Genesis 2 then goes on to say that Adam, in this case meaning mankind, not just man, will actually, in fact, be humankind, not just male, but male and female, man and woman, ish and isha in the Hebrew. And then our reading for today continues. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, to the isha, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it. He didn't actually say that, but the woman's a little nervous on her her heels. Neither shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent, in the first recorded uh, instance in the Bible of fake news, said to the woman, You will not die. Then their eyes were opened. What do you know? Turns out that the serpent's alternative facts did contain at least some truth. Their eyes were opened. And so they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Question Is the serpent in this story the same? Being whom we will later hear about in the gospel reading and elsewhere through scripture, is the serpent, Satan. Short answer, it doesn't explicitly say that, and so commentators disagree. The serpent is presented as a tempter, certainly, but as Luther pointed out, the whispers of temptation can actually come at us from multiple sources. Luther, in the small catechism on the, on the temptation prayer, lead us not into tem- temptation, spoke of three sources that temptations come from. The devil, or the world, or what Luther called our own sinful selves. Our own, I want it my way, not God's way. Sometimes we don't need any help at all, you see. We can be tempted all by ourselves. One could reasonably understand the serpent here to be the devil. Or, personally, I kind of lean in this direction. I think it's a little deeper. The serpent could also be a character in this story symbolizing all of them. And the larger truth that in life, temptations to live something less than your God-intended life do come and you know this, they come from all kinds of different directions, within and without. Another question people ask, why, why didn't God just not put that tree in the center of the garden so people wouldn't be able to sin? And we'd all still be living in paradise. Well, here's a short answer version of an old kind of traditional answer to the question that I think kind of still holds some water. That traditional answer goes something like this. The, this, this glimpse of things in the beginning isn't meant to be a glimpse of, of, of an idea that God had to create life that was pretty good. It is meant to be a glimpse of God life created to be very good. Life as God created it to be perfectly good. And nothing, according to all over the place in the Bible, nothing is perfectly gooder than love. Because God is love, right? Nothing is gooder than love. Love which cannot exist unless also exists the possibility of not. Loving. I can program my computer to start scrolling. I love you, Roger. I love you, Roger. Every time I come into the room, this is not love because the computer has no other option. I can give Siri instructions and she can answer my quests by telling me how much she loves me. It is not love. She's been programmed to do so. Love which cannot do anything else is not love. God created us for love and for loving obedience, which can only truly exist if, too, exists the possibility of not loving, not obeying, which, of course, is the reality that comes to fruition here in the picking and eating of the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By the way, this story is often referred to kind of popularly as the story of, of, of the fall. You maybe heard that. I think it should be recataloged. I think it's actually the story of humanity's first try at climbing. Climbing the ladder to heaven. For we are convinced that we will live life best by rising above our humanity to become our own gods. When in fact... From the beginning, what Scripture says is that life is lived best when we enter into the fullness of our humanity and do so trusting God. Trusting God. Did you notice that that's the flank on which the serpent launches his attack? Because the serpent doesn't slither into the story and directly tell the woman to eat the forbidden fruit but rather sneakily slips in the suspicion that the one who did the forbidding can't be trusted did God really say the serpent says raising the possibility of doubting God you won't die the serpent says, directly contradicting God. God knows that if you eat of the tree, you will become like him, the serpent says, putting a tantalizingly tempting spin on the words of God. I wonder why he doesn't want you to be like him, the serpent says, leaving the impression that there might just be an ulterior motive, a selfish motive that God has, and therefore perhaps God shouldn't be trusted. Genesis 3, 4, and 6, the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she looked at the fruit and she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate, by the way. Someone said, Well, it's all a woman's fault. You know she's the one who ate the fruit. Someone else said to me, "Well, at least she put up a fight." Adam, you sure? Give it here. Doesn't matter. But it all happens in the top of the third. It's baseball season, right? It all happens in the top of the third. The third chapter of Genesis. At which now point now the score in the Bible's overall big picture story is: I want to be my own God too. Trust God. Zero. Now I'm thinking, and this may or may not work, but I'm kind of committed to it at this point. I'm thinking of the rest of the Old Testament as the next innings of the ballgame. And while the tempter in those innings that you can read about by reading the rest of the Old Testament doesn't pitch a no-hitter, because there are actually a few folks, Abraham, Moses, David, the other members of the Bible's all-star team, they actually get some solid base hits if you read the story. But They're not perfect either, so they don't score any runs. And so in the biggest picture story of all, the tempter does keep his shutout going. Because it turns out that even the all-stars all have a pitch. They don't know how to hit. But it's a pitch that the tempter... The devil, the world, or our sinful selves knows how to throw, and he throws it wicked. Which takes us to our gospel reading for today, which is from the second game of the doubleheader, the New Testament, where we read that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, this is a road game, to be tempted by the devil, who throws three of his best pitches at him, Pitches which all, oh man, they get so close to the edge of the plate. And the way they do it is that he throws them with Bible verses attached. They just, they just, oh man, they could almost be strikes. The replay says, oh wow, those were close to being strikes. All of them in an attempt to get Jesus to believe that he couldn't live life on earth by faith alone in his Father God. His father God who in the story right before this temptation had spoken to him when he was baptized and said you are my son whom I love in whom I delight promises promises Satan says. Don't you think a dad who really loved his son would give him more than just promises to live on? Give the devil his due, Jesus. And oh my, will you and I together ever do great and powerful things? You can whip this world into shape. We're just about out of time, so let me say this and we'll leave the rest for the rest of Lent. Jesus didn't come to this earth just to teach us a few teachings. He came as completely one of us to join the battle against the enemies we have all fought against and lost. And he came to defeat them for us. Which enemies? Same old, same old. The devil. And or the world. And or your sinful self. Your, I have met the enemy, and it is me, self. You know that person? The devil. In this text and later on, he will throw his best pitches at Jesus, but he won't get him to swing at anything that's not over the plate. He got Adam and Eve to turn from the promises of the Father, but the harder the pitches Satan threw Jesus' way, the more he clung to the word the promises of his father the world many initially flocked to jesus but when he turned his gaze toward a cross and started talking about winning by dying rather than winning by being a winner even those who claimed loudly to be most loyal abandoned him to the cross in the end he faced it alone and our sinful selves, our sinful selves. You know how I said that story of Adam and Eve isn't just a story about Adam and Eve back then, it's also a story about us here and now? Well, guess what? His death on the cross is also not just a story of people back then, it's also about us here and now. About us how? About us in however many are the ways that on the cross, in having... The Bible says this later, in having in that moment now fully become our sin, he has in fact fully become us. And hell-bent to see this through all the way to everything sin deserves, he nevertheless turns toward the Father Creator to say on behalf of us, And on behalf of all who ever turned from the Father, Creator, this. Father, forgive them. It's a beautiful prayer, the prayer of the day. We pray it again. Lord God, our strength, the struggle between good and evil rages within and around us. And the devil and all the forces that defy you tempt us with empty promises. Keep us steadfast in your word. And when we fall, raise us again and restore us. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.